Just over 20 years ago, a payphone caller claimed dozens of people had committed suicide at a Mediterranean-style villa in the gilded San Diego suburb of Rancho Santa Fe. Two hours later, Sheriff's Deputy Robert Brunk crept into the mansion and found a macabre scene of ritualized death. Investigators would count 39 corpses, 21 women, 18 men, ranging in age from 26 to 72. It was the largest mass suicide ever committed on U.S. soil. Each body lied out in a bed clad in black sweatpants, black button-down tunics, and out-of-the-box Nike Decade jogging shoes. Each torso and shorn head enshrouded by a square of deep purple fabric. Each corpse had exactly $5.75 in their pocket. And everyone wore a Trekkie-inspired arm patch that read, Heaven's Gate Away Team. Computers in the mansion flashed a Starship Enterprise-style red alert. What the fuck? How did this happen? Why did they do it? What led 39 people to kill themselves in a desperate attempt to board a spaceship? If you don't know, you're about to find out. And if you already know, you're about to realize there was some info you probably missed. Time to go full alien, full cult, full crazy in this Heaven's Gate, Comet's Tale, and Space Jesus edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod, and happy Monday, you deeply inquisitive sucky McSuck basis. What's up, person who actually enjoys a little learning, you weirdo? Why don't you just read a tabloid and gossip about the reality story flavor of the month, huh? Why aren't you doing that? Why don't you just listen to some news network talking heads vomit up some preformed narratives designed less to inform you and more to sell commercials by playing to a specific target demographic? What the fuck is wrong with you? Let your eyes gloss over already and give up on life. Get in line. Do what you're told. No? All right. All right. It's your life, I guess. Keep listening if you want. I'm Dan Cummins, a.k.a. The Suck Master, a.k.a. Master Sucker, a.k.a. Lord Suck, a.k.a. Sir Sucks a Lot, a.k.a. Ruler of the Third Kingdom, Prophet of Nimrod, and all the other weird and hilarious shit you guys call me when you send in your emails and messages. Uh, I love it. Today's episode is a wild ride, as you would expect with the suicide cult. Uh, appreciating you uh, letting work wait a bit to listen to it. Huge thanks to the Lily wi- <laughs> to the Lily Willies. I almost called you the Lily Willies. That would be interesting. Huge thanks to the Lily Twins, Sarah and Rebecca Reba, OG members of the Bojangles research team, for fucking crushing the initial research of this episode. So nice when I'm doing uh, my own digging to know it matches up with what somebody else has found, somebody else I trust. Uh, So nice to be presented with awesome angles to expand on and great info I may have never found on my own. Uh, You two killed it. Uh, Thanks for all the emails, too. Holy shit, you guys have been firing those emails in. Uh, I really thought I was going to catch up this week, but my travel schedule has been exhausting uh, opening up for Brian Regan all over down south, and I, and I know I didn't mention that anywhere, uh, and here's why. My, my shows with Brian are the only ones I don't advertise, and I love him so much. He's such a funny dude, such a great dude, uh, and I don't advertise because out of, out of respect to his audience and to him, I do a super clean show, like the cleanest of clean shows, uh, which if you've, ever, if you've ever seen me live, uh, not normally the case. I like to get some filth in there. I personally enjoy the filth very much. Uh, so I just don't want anyone coming out to see me and then be disappointed that they didn't see the normal all ra- you know, kind of R-rated show that I, that I typically do. So that's the only reason I don't mention it. I only do a few weekends a year with him. And again, one, he's one of my favorite people in comedy. So fun to watch him do his thing. And, and I learned something about stand-up each time with, um, with him. But anyway, so I wasn't able to get back <laughs> to the emails yet again. It's like this fucking game. I, I got back to some of them, but not all the ones I wanted to because uh, we were doing a different city each night, trying to keep my research going. The suck, the suck just continues. 
right? Never gives up. I love it. Uh, and you guys, uh, thank you so much with your with your ratings too, which is also keeping me busy. You know, you guys have been fucking me up with those iTunes ratings. Like the Salem Witch Trial episode, the bonus episode, the 900 review bonus episode. It just came out like 10 days ago, and now we're already over a thousand reviews. You guys are trying to fucking kill me. Uh, so the suck will suck itself for the thousands, uh, the thousand review bonus episode. Not this uh, coming Friday, uh, but Friday, October 6th. I'm going on a little family trip this week, and I just can't get it done in time. So, so it'll be one week delayed. Sorry about that. But, but on the 6th, some extra Friday suck with the history of Time Suck itself, the history of me. And the night before the 6th, I'll be doing the, the first live Time Suck uh, you know, show in the Hollywood Improv in, uh, in Hollywood, California on the night of October 5th. So hope you, I think there's a few tickets left. Stand-up show at the same Improv on October 6th with the guys from Small Town Murder and uh and crime and sports it's gonna be fantastic helium comedy club in portland oregon october 12th 13th 14th parlor live in bellevue washington one night only october 15th bananas comedy club in hasbrook heights new jersey october 20th 21st and much more coming up check the episode description for times and ticket links updates to previous episodes and sneak peek at next week's episode at the end of this podcast all aboard heaven's gate right now Okay, so Heaven's Gate, the cult associated with the bug-eyed maniac, Marshall Applewhite. A dude who looks like a picture, it, like, like he, he, it looks like his picture, like a picture of his smiling face should just be in the dictionary next to cult leader, right? Like the stereotypical cult leader. Uh, I actually had a bumper sticker of his face uh, on my truck in college with the, with the words all aboard next to it. I guess I've always loved some inappropriate humor. Uh, and the tutorial videos he created that would be uploaded online and will now live uh, forever in cyberspace. He has some of the craziest eyes I've ever, and I know I have crazy eyes. He has some of the craziest eyes I've ever seen, like right up there with Rasputin. Him and Rasputin in a staring contest would be fucking epic. And before we get uh, into the story of his life, uh, find out, you know, when he created his cult, how it evolved. Let's twist the format around today. Let's start off with checking in with what the internet has to say about him. Get some 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 light fun in there with some idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. internet. Yeah, so a little twist on today's idiots of the internet. Marshall Applewhite himself, he is the idiot of the internet. Uh, a lot of his teachings exist on YouTube. And reading the comments beneath them uh, actually made me feel really good to be a human being this week. Right, like all these comments uh, that I'm listing right now are under a video if you want to watch it titled Heaven's Gate Cult Initiation Tape Part 1. It is just amazing. Just the crazy gibberish coming out of his mouth. Uh, regarding his photogenically uber-intense insanity stare, uh, user, uh, I don't even know how to say this word, A-K-H-E-N-A-T-E-N. -E I don't know if that's a made-up word or someone's actual name. Uh, Akhenaten Sales uh, comments, this guy, <laughs> this guy would whoop ass in a staring contest, that's for sure. Yeah, that's what I just said. Agreed. Agreed. Total domination. Uh, user Trending Hot was alarmed by his stare as well, writing, motherfucker don't blink. Red flag right there. And then user Steve Firth adds to this with, it does say in the Bible that the Son of God only blinked 142 times in his whole life. I think this guy's legit. <laughs> now that is in reference to, as you'll find out, uh, he claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be uh, Jesus come back. No blinking, man, really is a red flag, isn't it? You ever talk to somebody? Uh, who makes way too much eye contact with you, like like intense, like intense staring contest eye contact, and they don't seem to blink. It is extremely unnerving. Like I can't handle it. Makes my skin crawl. 
Uh, like, like not good to be like shifty eyed and afraid to make, make eye contact. You know, that person can kind of be a little weird too when they just like will never look you in the eye. There's always like looking off to the side, looking above you. I mean, that's odd for sure. But also super odd to just go power stare full speed ahead 24 seven. And that's what uh, Apple White was, man. Just zero chill in Marshall Apple, Apple White. Just zero chill. Uh, user Harpus Fizz offers another angle on why his stare is so disconcerting, <laughs> writing, <laughs> I'm distracted by the two caterpillars he's using as eyebrows. <laughs> it really does make his stare worse. It's just framed so harshly with his, with his you know, chia pets he's got resting above his eyeballs. These, these big bushy eyebrows. Uh, user... Uh, and by the way, right, if you're like, that's not, that's not cool picking on people who have bushy eyebrows. No, that's a choice. That's a choice to have bushy eyebrows. I, when I get my hair cut now, I get my eyebrows, uh, trimmed up as well. You know why? Cause I have uh, now it lately, it's been really fun. I have a couple hairs in each, uh, a couple future old man hairs in each eyebrow that like to just go three times as long as all the rest of the hairs. They're just rogue. Now they just do what they w- You know, they just do what they want. They're like, nah, man, we're going to find a new place to live. We're going to fucking, we're going to project ourselves off of your head. So, you know, I asked the lady to, to trim up a little bit when I, get, when I get it cut so I don't look like, like this Looney Tune. Okay. User Toxic Ketchup sums up his overall appearance uh, very succinctly and perfectly saying, this is what absolute madness <laughs> looks like. Yeah. And then user Perp and Orange has one, maybe the funniest assessment of his overall appearance, commenting, why did they record a ball sack with big ears? <laughs> Why did, why did they record a ball sack with big ears? That made me laugh so hard because if you look at his face, like, you know, like in the uh, pictures taken of him in the last few years of his life, he actually does look like a, he looks like a, sh- like a trimmed ball sack with ears. Uh, user Dezobi De- wrote what I thought was the funniest overall comment on this video saying, was halfway into the vid when my dad walked in and I quickly switched to Pornhub, which was much easier to explain. That's so good. That, that is easier to explain. Just, uh, what are you doing? Uh, just jerking off some, just some porn. That definitely wasn't watching cult videos. So much wit on the web today. Oh, no stupid comments at all. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Had to find at least one dumb one. Here's a quick thread that cracked me up. User God of Monsterland wrote an obviously sarcastic and absurd comment saying, this guy used to smoke crack with me down behind the 7-Eleven dumpster. He was so fucking whack. He used to eat glass bottles when he got real fucked up. He said glass was actually space food or some shit like that. I don't know where he went. Last I saw, he was on a corner hooking himself for $5 an hour. Oh, well. Obviously absurd. Obviously absurd. Right? Like That has nothing to do with Marshall Abbott's life. To me, it's like I see something like that. It's like, yeah, he just, that's, a, that's a funny, absurd, absurd little story he wrote. And I'm amazed how many people just do not understand obvious exaggeration and absurdism, right? One of these people is user RCC Games who wrote, the fact that this is about sociopaths leads me to question your statement. Sorry. And then user Farah Adashi uh, calls out Monster God of Monsterland just saying, bullshit. <laughs> Bull- bullshit. You did not. That did, none of that happened. Stop it. You didn't smoke crack with Marshall Applewhite. He's not sucking dick on a corner. No, he did not eat space glass. Social intelligence is a real thing. I'm continually amazed by how many people don't seem to have much of it. Like they can be very intelligent in other ways. You know, they can have a good job, be a responsible parent, just have no concept of absurd humor. Like it just, it doesn't, they don't catch it. They don't understand it at all. I run into this a lot personally because I love making absurd statements. Like after shows, you know, I'll sell an autographed copy of like a silly book I wrote, this uh, adult bedtime story called Daddy Bear, Three Rabbits Meet the Real World. And sometimes when people ask me how much it costs, I'll say something like $1,000, $10,000. 
you know, it's a million dollars. And almost everyone understands that I'm joking, but every once in a while, uh, despite having watched me joke around on stage for an hour, just a few minutes earlier, uh, somebody will look at, just shoot me an angry look like, I'm not paying $1,000 for that book. What are you talking? No, that is way too much money for that book. And then I have to tell them, no, I'm, I know. I'm, I also think that's way too much, which is why I said it in a, in a tone of humor. Uh, it's 20 bucks and then, and then they calm down, but then all, but even then, then sometimes there's like, like, like they're still acting like I was trying to get a scam on over them. Like, I, I, I think you were trying to get me to pay a thousand dollars for that book. People like that are the worst to hang out with. So not fun. You know, I remember being around them in like social settings, you know, like a friend of a friend, you know, you talk about how somebody really, you know, pissed you off and you say something like, man, I want to kill this guy. Well, that's a bit much. <laughs> Whoa. Murder. Yeah, it is a bit much. Of course it's a bit much. It was a fucking crazy hy- hy- example of hyperbole, a figure of speech. I don't actually, w- I don't actually want to murder. Th- I kind of, I kind of do, but I won't because I'd get caught, but I don't really, kind of. Maybe I do, but I don't. You, you just go, you just go grab your computer, person who doesn't understand exaggeration, and you get, you get back to being an idiot of the internet. Idiots of the internet. Okay, so now we've had a little bit of fun at Marshall's expense. Uh, let's learn why it's okay to mock him. Let's, let's learn a lot about this guy. Did, did he always seem crazy? Was he, was he just born a wild-eyed, you know, human ranting and raving about UFOs? Did he just pop out of his mom's vagina like he's already he's kicked off the staring contest, second one? You know, yeah, UFOs, I'm, Jesus, come back. No, no, he had a pretty ho-hum start to life, as most cult leaders uh, seem to have had. And, and let, let's check in with it. Let's examine it. Let's start at the beginning with the Time Suck Timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a Time Suck Timeline. Marshall Herf Applewhite Jr. was born... What a name. Marshall Herf Applewhite Jr. was born on May 17th, 1931. Damn it. We, had, we shared the same birthday. I also... My birthday is May 17th. And we both have crazy eyes. And we're both fascinated with religion. No, there may be a cult in my future. Hail Nimrod! There is a cult right now, the cult of the curious. There is definitely a cult uh, in Marshall's future. Marshall was born in Spur, Texas, a little town of about 2,000 people back in 1931, and around 1,000 now. Son of a bitch. We're both born in tiny towns. I do not like how much I have in common with this wackadoodle so far. Uh, in addition to uh, you know Marshall being from Spur, former drag racer and member of the Motorsports Hall of Fame, Raymond Beadle is from Spur, as is screenwriter Aaron Latham, the man who wrote Urban Cowboy. John Travolta's character in that movie is from Spur. Uh, Red McCombs, a sports mogul who owned both the San Antonio Spurs and the NFL's Minnesota Vikings, is from Spur. A lot of people coming out of this little town. Spur is 73 miles from Lubbock. Uh, it's at the forefront of America's tiny house revolution. Guys, seriously, that's what their website claims. Spur has 70 lots for sale right now where you can you can move your tiny house, your prefabricated tiny house, onto this little tiny lot. You know, it's a pre-made home, about 600 square feet is what a tiny house is. And, uh, and you can live a tiny life in a tiny Texas town. So if not being able to move around much when you're at home and then not having many places to go when you leave home sounds like your cup of tea, then you get your ass to Spur, okay? Uh, Marshall grew up in a, in a normal-sized house from, from all I can tell. He had two older sisters, Louise and Jane, and a brother who was nine years younger, John. And Applewhite's father was a Presbyterian minister who started new churches and moved from place to place in Texas about every three years. So I guess he didn't stay in Spur for too long. God damn it. I also left my hometown in Riggins, Idaho after a few years. 
But I, but I came back. I came back to Riggins. Marshall did not go back to Spur. Okay, okay. Still getting a little irritated with how similar we are. After bouncing around a few other small South Texas towns, Marshall ended up in Corpus Christi by the time he was in high school, uh, a coastal Texas city whose name is Latin for Body of Christ. So, you know, fairly religious place. A lot of famous people from Corpus Christi, including actress Eva Longoria, Lou Diamond Phillips. Oh, Lou Diamond Phillips, man. There's some of my childhood. Jose Chavez, Chavez in Young Guns, baby. Young Guns. Shot down in a blaze of glory. Take me now, but know the truth. I'm going out in a blaze of glory. Lord, I never drew first, but I drew first blood. I'm no one's son. Call me Young Gun. Classic Bon Jovi, sporting a rock-hard respection right now. That was Bon Jovi when I liked him before he was fucking showing up in sitcoms. While attending high school, Marshall began to shift focus from religion to music. Uh, when he was a little kid, he wanted to be a preacher like his dad, and, uh, and now he wanted to sing. He joined the school choir like all future cult members do. It's, it's uncanny. Charles Manson, Jim Jones, David Koresh, Marshall Applewhite, all former choir members. So if choir people have always skeeved you out a little bit, well, you know what? You were right to be uh, skeeved out. You always trust your gut. No, there's no association between cult members and choir, but uh, that would be fantastic if there was. 1950, at age 19, Applewhite enrolls in Austin College and pursues a degree in music, and also at his father's urging, uh, studies pre-theology, uh, which, I was, which I didn't understand at first. According to literature I found on other universities' websites, a scholastic emphasis in pre-theology prepares students to enter professional schools of religion, like divinity schools, seminaries, theological schools. Just get you all warmed up. Uh, these professional schools prepare the student for a variety of careers, such as ministry, religious education, religious work for, with youth and others. And, and a student in this program, you know, also declares a, a separate major. I thought for a second pre-theology was going to be like studying things that happened before there was religion, like like previous to theology existing. <laughs> but I guess that wouldn't that wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? Like before religion, there wasn't civil, civilization. You know, what what would you study? Just a bunch of dudes in a room just saying stuff like so. Uh, so people just grunted. And, and made fire and ate raw meat, as, as far as we know. Uh, we don't have any records, so it's hard to say. Uh, anyone else have anything to add to the pre-theology discussion today? Do you think people farted in the days before theology? Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's good. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't see why not. I don't see why not. Uh, but we don't have any records, so it's, it's hard to say. What, what about dance? Did you, do you think people danced in the days before theology? Uh, sure. Sure, I think probably. Uh, but again... Uh, we don't have any records of, of anything, so it, it's hard to say. What, what about what about masturbation? Do you do you think people jerking it in the days before theology? That's blasphemy. Absolutely not. Uh, 1954, Applewhite ended up graduating with a degree in, in voice and education. He was drafted in the U.S. Army. He was stationed in Salzburg, Austria, and then White Sands, New Mexico, and he became a Signal Corps instructor. Now, the Signal Corps is a military's communication division. According to the Army's own website, they automate, transmit, and receive voice and data information to keep the Army informed and ready to respond. Now, during the Korean War, communications largely revolved around radio transmission, so I'm guessing that's what he worked on. Uh, maybe that's where he first started, you know, talking to aliens. It's about getting them on the radio, getting them on the horn, right? Hearing some spaceship noise out there. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Martial law was drafted a year after uh, the conflict phase of the Korean War ended, so he didn't go to Korea, didn't see action while in the service. And according to his sister, he was honorably discharged at the rank of sergeant in 1956 after two years of service. So 1956, after he's uh, discharged, Applewhite becomes a college music teacher, the beginning of a lengthy musical career. Uh, he played star. He would, he would go on to play starring roles in stage musicals in Colorado and Texas. 
be the choir director at St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Houston, sang 15 roles with the Houston Grand Opera. He taught music at the University of Alabama in the early 60s, married Anne Frances Pierce in a Presbyterian church, had a son named Mark, born in 1957, and a daughter named Lane Ann, but known as Mary, born in 1959. Now, a lot of rumors and various reports about this period of Marshall's life. He, he seemed to be quite the character. Uh, he took trips, apparently, to New York, tried to break into Broadway in 1960 and 1961, get into some musicals there, but he, but he wasn't able to get a footing uh, in the industry, which, you know, was tough. I mean, he had, he had family back in Houston, you know, so that made that, that, made that tricky. Uh, God damn it. I have, two, I have two young kids. I have a son and daughter, and I'm, I've been kicking around in showbiz. More similarities. It's like, oh, too similar to Marshall. Uh, Marshall was a talented operatic singer. I used to sing opera for several years uh, down in Australia. That's not true. No, uh, how, I wish that was true right now. That'd be what a weird thing just to, all of a sudden just nobody knew that for two years I was on the opera circuit in Australia. Uh, not that there is one down there. I don't even know where I pulled that, why I associated it with that country. You know, I do know why, because in my brain, I know so little about opera. When I think of opera, I think of the Sydney Opera House. I'm pretty sure that's a real place. It's a beautiful building. Anyway, uh, Marshall had a bright, big baritone, flawless diction, he had a true talent for musicals and theater. Uh, I was in band in college, and we played a bunch of parties, and I sang for them. So, fuck, he continues. Uh, that theater training undoubtedly helped prepare him for the role of cult leader. Gotta, gotta have some decent acting skills, right? Pull that role off. By the late 1960s, he began to lead quite the double life. In some circles, Mr. Applewhite was the dashing man about town, never happier than when he had a, a well-off, well-dressed woman on his arm. So he had these, like, you know, supposedly like these mistress, mistresses on the side. But then also, supposedly, he was firmly rooted uh, in the gay community in the Montrose section of the city and had a, had a long-time uh, gay lover. So, uh, yeah, he was a busy dude. 1968, he divorces his wife. Uh, I've also been divorced. God, we're the same fucking person. Uh, other than the homosexual secret double life. Uh, I, I have not had that life. Uh, of course, if I did have that life, if I was leading it now, it's not like I'd tell you, you know, because it's a secret. But I don't. But it would be a secret if I did, so you wouldn't know. But I don't. But it would be a secret. Just before he was dismissed from his job at the University of St. Thomas in 1970, Marshall supposedly had a, had a love affair with a wealthy young woman, an affair that had been halted by her disapproving family. The family threatened Marshall to stay away from her. Uh, and according, I guess, you know, the threats were pretty serious. According to one of Mr. Applewhite's friends at the time who insisted on anonymity in, a, in an interview, uh, everyone was concerned for Marshall's safety. Uh, however, the Washington Post and New York Times also published allegations that Marshall White or Marshall Applewhite was fired from his job in 1970 as a music professor at the University of St. Thomas in Houston after school administrators learned he had an affair with a male student. So maybe an affair with some lady, maybe an affair with some dude, uh, probably affairs with both. You know, uh, a lot of stuff I'm sure never made it into articles or books. It was a wild time, man. 1967, you know, was the summer of love. And this was all occurring, you know, during the, during the hippie counterculture revolution. You know, in those years. So really, Marshall's actions were not entirely out of line with cultural, kind of counter-cultural norms. You know, he was experimenting. A lot of people were. 1972, Marshall meets the future co-leader of Heaven's Gate, Bonnie Lou Trousdale's Nettles. Uh, Marshall would later claim he met her at a psychiatric hospital where he had checked himself in to be cured of homosexual urges, according to a report in the Washington Post. Uh, Bonnie was a nurse, and he claimed she worked, she worked there. However, uh, her daughter... Bonnie's daughter would later claim they met at a local theater's drama school. Uh, Marshall supposedly did spend time in a psychiatric facility, depressed, ashamed, and suddenly hearing voices. Uh, Applewhite had asked to be cured of his homosexual desires, according to James Lewis, the author of a book on UFO cults. A UFO cults, there we go. Robert Balch, sociologist at the University of Montana and a Heaven's Gate expert, 
said that Marshall confided to at least one of his lovers his longing for a meaningful platonic relationship where he could develop his full potential without sexual entanglements. His desire for a life devoid of sexual urges would resurface strongly later in his Heaven's Gate teachings, as we'll find out. Now, before we move on with Marshall, let's dig a little bit into the backstory of Bonnie Nettles, heard this character, the co-creator. Bonnie was born into a Baptist home on August 29, 1927 in Houston, Texas. After high school, she moved away from religion, studied to become a nurse, did become a nurse, married businessman Joseph Siegel Nettles in December 1949, with whom she had four kids, and then she meets Marshall either shortly or before she starts going through her divorce with Joseph. According to the New York Times, her marriage had been deteriorating due to her new obsession with the occult. She began to chart the stars, dabbling in astrology, began holding seances. I watched a Heaven's Gate documentary when her daughter Terry talked about uh, how her mom would take her out of the backyard when she was 14, and they'd study the stars together, and her mom would openly hope that the aliens would come pick them up that night and t- take them far away. She also came to believe that a 19th century monk named Brother Francis began to frequently speak to her and was giving her instructions. You know, so pretty standard mom shit. Uh, God, Tracy, my mom is driving me crazy too. She will not give me any space. I think she read my diary the other day. She's convinced me and Mark are having sex. How are, how are things going with your mom? Oh, my, my mom has been driving me so crazy too. She's been talking a lot lately to the spirit of dead brother Francis and spending so much time in the backyard waiting to get picked up by a flying saucer. It's so embarrassing. Moms, huh? God, that kind of shit would lead to divorce, wouldn't it? Even though I myself have been divorced, uh, I don't treat divorce lightly. I don't think it should be your go-to move when things get rocky in a relationship. You know, if you're having money problems or if you lost sexual interest in your partner or your partner suddenly just annoys the fuck out of you, uh, you think you'd be happier with a neighbor lady or some dude at work, you know, don't just go for that right away. Get some counseling. Man, give the marriage a chance. Give, give reconciliation a real shot before you split, especially if there's kids involved. I can speak from experience uh, and say that divorce, when there is kids involved, uh, no matter how amicable it may be on the surface, is a motherfucker. However, if your spouse is suddenly under the impression that a dead monk is telling her how to make her life decisions and she refuses to take medication and she's waiting for aliens and she refuses to realize all of this is completely batshit insane, may want to part ways, you know, before Brother Francis tells her to give away all your money or kidnap your kids or, you know, cut your throat in your sleep. So uh, anyway, so, so back to Bonnie and Marshall's meeting. 1972, you know, uh, Applewhite meets Bonnie Nettles, an astrologer and nurse somewhere. They meet somewhere, and they really hit it off. And I guess they felt like they'd known each other all of their lives, and then they decided uh, that their you know, friendship actually went back even further than their lives and went back to previous incarnations. Uh, Bonnie completes an astrology chart on Marshall and feels that his chart is very special. It's, you have a very special star chart, unlike any chart she'd ever seen. And then Nettles leaves her husband, Joseph, and their four kids. And what she doesn't do is have an affair with Marshall. Their relationship would never be sexual. Uh, If anything, it was based on a shared agreement to abstain from sex. Marshall became so against sex that at some point after they started their cult a little bit later, I wasn't able to locate a source that said exactly when he did this, but supposedly he took a trip to Mexico City uh, with six early followers of his teachings, and they all had themselves surgically castrated to rid themselves of sexual urges. Jesus. Now, some some articles do say chemical. Most say surgical. Chemicals, you know, when you just take kind of like uh, things to suppress your testosterone, uh, surgicals when you get your you get your nuts whacked off. I don't think I don't think they take the sack. I think they just take the testes out of the sack. I don't even know. I don't know what they leave in the sack. I didn't. <laughs> I'm not a nut. I'm not a nut castration surgery expert. But man, how extreme is that? Having your nuts just removed. Strange fact. Uh, I found out looking into it a little further 
doing some nut research. Uh, getting your nuts whacked off for, uh, for sure throws off your hormone levels. 95% of testosterone comes from the testes, but it doesn't guarantee an erection-free life. I was surprised by that. Surgical castration, also called an oreoctomy, involves the physical removal of the testicles, which produce 95% of a man's testosterone. However, the small amount still produced by the adrenal glands could be enough to allow some, to allow some sexual function to remain. According to one study from the 1960s of about 1,000 German sex offenders who'd been castrated, 65% of the men immediately felt their libido plummet. <laughs> Again, I'm surprised that's not so much higher. You just got your nuts cut off. 18%, though, were able to have sex 20 years later. That is surprising. Uh, based on the small amount of data that exists on this subject, <laughs> See, I hope it's a small amount, not a lot of castration studies out there, it appears uh, up to 10% of sexual offenders who are surgically castrated actually re do repeat their sexual offense. That is fucking crazy. I wonder if Marshall still got boners after the surgery. That, that would drive you, man, mad. That would drive you insane. Just, well, would you look at this? Look at it. Look down there. Look at it. How is this happening? How is this happening? Uh, this, is, this is the work of the devil. This is Satan's boner. Damn you, devil, in your devil wood. Well, nutless boners or not, uh, Marshall and Bonnie developed a friendship and then a partnership in what was called the Christian Art Center, where they offered classes in religion, art, and music. It was uh, superseded by the No Place, a metaphysical center, a reflection to theosophical and occult teachings that Nettles introduced to Applewhite. Man, man, late 60s, early 70s, people are just, oh, <laughs> there's just so much weird belief shit floating around everywhere. Uh, then on New Year's Day in 1973, the pair left Texas for the West Coast on what they referred to as a spiritual road trip. They ended up stealing a car later. Uh, actually, uh, Applewhite did, because you know what? You don't even need to pay for cars. Not all the time, not when you're on a mission from God. And before we dive into the bonkers thoughts they had on this road trip, let's check in with today's sponsor. Time Suck Today is brought to you by Felipe Esparza's first HBO one-hour comedy special, Translate This debuting on HBO on Saturday, September 30th at 10 p.m. Now, the special features unconventional riffs on the immigrant experience, life's everyday battles. Felipe is a fantastic comic uh, and a cool dude who I've uh, known for, for many years, met several times. He was uh, always a fun dude to hang out with and always just genuinely a funny guy. He was, he was the winner of Last Comic Standing in 2010. He's appeared on The Tonight Show, Lopez Tonight, The Arsenio Hall Show, The Eric Andre Show, True TV's World's Dumbest. I used to see him uh, all the time. Uh, when I was also a cast member of that show, uh, he appeared on Comedy Central's Premium Blend, Russell Simmons Presents, Stand Up at the El Rey, and, and much, much more. And now the affable Esparza shares his stories about translating for his parents as a kid, how his father got his family to the U.S. from Mexico, how he became a father himself while still in high school. He riffs on the challenges of identifying illegal immigrants, being a single father, dating single moms, cheating versus being cheated on, uh, watching adult films with his wife. And a lot more. And he does it all in English. Mo mostly. Mostly in English. Peppers it with a little bit of Spanish. Uh, so watch it, man. Watch Felipe Esparza translate this on HBO and HBO Latino Saturday, September 30th at 10 p.m. Just in time for Hispanic Heritage Month. And now back to some madness. Uh, they slowly began to see themselves as the two witnesses mentioned in the Bible, Revelation 11, who spread a message of judgment and then are martyred and then are resurrected and taken to heaven in a cloud. In the New International Version of the Bible, chapter 11 of Revelations uh, goes a little something like this. Actually, it goes exactly like this. Uh, it says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,000 
260 days, clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying, and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Wow, that's some powerful shit. Must have have felt cool to believe you were those two people. Man, people who just march forward, you know, unstoppable, preaching God's will, burning any motherfucker who stands in their way, throwing plagues down left and right, willy-nilly. Why don't lunatics ever become convinced there's some small, insignificant historical or theological or mythical character, right? They're always, they're always God or like one of God's most powerful angels or, (laughs) or the reincarnation of Alexander the Great or Genghis Khan, right? They're they're never taken with the spirit of some like random 12th century tavern wench, maybe some 15th century blacksmith's apprentice. Behold, I am Samuel, the blacksmith's apprentice, and I have returned to earth to, uh, to uh, con- to continue to to try to learn to continue to learn how to how to hammer hot iron into various uh, shapes of such as swords and and uh, and you know and uh, the uh, knives and and whatnot and shields maybe you know how to make a sword uh, yes I not well kind of somewhat not not really actually but I have seen others make them and I have picked up a few things along the way while while watching the the real blacksmiths. <laughs> Back to Revelations. Uh, now when they have finished their testimony, the beast... Okay, sorry. This is... Uh, I started to read that as if I said it. Let me read the, let me read the biblical quote, right? Now we're up to uh, verse 7. Um, now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days... Some from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on the bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. Well, uh, Marshall and Bonnie, the bizarro world version of Bonnie and Clyde, uh, on a cross-country Looney Tunes spree instead of a cross-country crime spree, they identified this cloud just referenced as a flying saucer, right? That's where the UFO stuff starts to work into their, you know, teachings. And they moved on uh, from thinking that, you know, they were the two messengers of the apocalypse pretty soon to actually thinking they were God and Jesus, man. Uh, Yeah, they really, they just keep kicking it up. They developed a perspective that interpreted biblical passages in light of contemporary thought about extraterrestrial contact. They believed that Jesus had ascended to heaven, uh, Tela, T-E-L-A-H, the evolutionary level above heaven in a spacecraft, and that Applewhite had arrived on Earth from that same Tela realm. He was Jesus returned, and he brought with him the Heavenly Father in the person of Nettles. Holy shit, man. Mental illness and the book of Revelations. What a consistently horrific combination. Why couldn't early church leaders in the 4th century AD, you know, members of like the First Council of Nicaea, you know, when dudes were deciding which Christian books to canonize and keep and which ones to toss in the fire, why couldn't they have thrown revelations in the fire? How many people have needlessly died because of various lunatics' obsession with Armageddon gibberish prophecy? <laughs> I know that's disrespectful uh, if you are Christian, but the revelations, oh, fuck. Oh, man. It's just... 
please don't focus on that one when you're doing your when you're doing your prayers. Please, please kind of, you know, go light on that one. It's just, I've read it. I've been fascinated with it my whole life. And there's just, wow, there's so much crazy in there. So much angry crazy. <laughs> All right. So in the early 70s, you have Marshall and Bonnie, two complete fucking maniacs who are feeding each other's religious and paranormal slash extraterrestrial beliefs on a daily basis, traveling the country, actively recruiting new members into their nonsense. Man, what the conversations these two birds of the same crazy feathers must have had. If you could just listen in the car, these two driving and just, you know, Marshall, I just realized that you weren't born. No, no, you arrived on a spacecraft and then inhabited this physical container. You've never had homosexual urges. You didn't abandon your family. Your filthy human body did all that. Your space, Jesus. Oh, Bonnie, Bonnie, I, I can't tell you how good it feels to hear you say that. I, I already knew it, of course, <laughs> but I didn't know if you were ready to hear it. And you, of course, must know you're not some horrible mother who just abandoned her four children to travel around the country with a wild-eyed, delusional Fruit Loop. No, that's your silly human containers problem. That's just your Earthskins business. That's just the trappings of your meat wrappings, baby. You are the father. That's what the real you is. You're God. I am the son of God. And we need to pull over and get gas pretty soon because the needle's been on E for a while now. Plus, uh, Space Jesus has to tinkle. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Well, these two hit some financial difficulties along their journey. Not always a lot of money in telling people you're space God and space Jesus. And then Marshall is arrested for stealing a rental car, I alluded to earlier, in Kansas in the summer of 1953, and he goes to jail for six months. They eh, they didn't take it easy on space Jesus. After uh, Marshall gets out, the duo contact Hayden Hughes, a UFO researcher, and they ask him to tell his contacts in the general public that they have discovered a way to overcome death. They've overcome death itself. He's Jesus. She's God. And, uh, you know, they, 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 they got to get the word out. They've compared their discovery to a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And, and humans can now, based on their teachings, metamorphosize into a level above humanity. And they called their group HIM, H-I-M, Human Individual Metamorphosis. And, uh, <laughs> and even, even Hayden, even a, 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 a UFO leader nutjob was like, nah, I'm not going to, no. I'm not going to spread that, thanks. In 1975, Applewhite Nettles convinced 20 people, though, uh, from Wald- Waldport, Oregon, to join their group. Applewhite told them there would be an alien appearance by means of a UFO. But then when the encounter never happened, uh, their group dissolves. That had to have been a tough day, right? You get 20 people to sign up for your nonsense. You get everyone to wait for the spaceship. You're all excited. You're all talking about what you want to see. Just I, I hope we go to Jupiter first. No way, dude. No way. Mars first, then Saturn. Uh, I actually heard the hottest space chicks are in Mercury, actually. The, the gravity there gives them the best curves. This is going to be intense. You know? And then pretty soon it's, hey, man. Hey, man. Where, where are they? We've been here a while. You said, you said they'd be here at 10 p.m. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yes, I did. I did say 10 p.m. Uh, yes, I did. Uh, but I, if you were paying attention, clearly inferred 10 p.m. Hawaii time. 10 p.m. on Hawaii is what I would meant. So you know, we we got a, We got a few more hours. No way. No way. You said Pacific time. I heard you. No, you misheard me. I said 10 o'clock ac- across the Pacific. That's where you heard the Pacific part. Okay. You know, okay, you know, and then a couple more hours go by, and then it's, all right, assholes, we've been waiting a whole fucking day. I need to get, I need to go beg my old boss back at Sears to give me my job back, all right? Looks like instead of traveling a goddamn galaxy, I'm going to be selling not, not quite professional grade, but pretty solid power tools for the typical home construction enthusiast again. Fuck. By the fall of 1975, Marshall and Bonnie had changed their names to Bo and Peep 
because they're insane. And incredibly, Bo and Peep are able to recruit new followers. Oh, man. Uh, they began gathering followers in the Los Angeles, uh, California area, and they set out on a tour that took them north to Oregon. You know, they went back there. I guess I'm guessing avoided their previous contacts who they let down with the UFO sighting thing. Went eastward to Chicago. Uh, Bo and Peep would then change their names again pretty quickly, probably because they got made fun of a lot, uh, to Doe and T, notes in the musical scale. Just, hey guys, important cult announcement to make. Everyone gather around. It's come to our attention that the names Bo and Peep uh, remind a lot of people of the nursery rhyme, Little Bo Peep. Heard there's been a lot of snickering and giggling and so we've landed on some new names. Uh, we will now be referred to as Doe and T. Uh, in, in other news, please do not refer to our haircuts as bowl cuts. I don't think that does it justice. I'd, I'd like to refer to them as a do-do. That's all, just a do-do. Applewhite becomes convinced uh, he can communicate telepathically around this time. He tells uh, his old UFO buddy Hayden Hughes and others uh, to use the Lord's Prayer to reach him. If you want to reach his mind, if you want to reach space Jesus' mind, you just do the Lord's Prayer, you know. Oh, Father, uh, what, you know, therefore, I can't remember it, dang it. I tried to just wing it there for a second, but it's the famous one, you know. And supposedly, uh, Hayden tries this out uh, once, and then the next day, Applewhite calls him to ask why he had telepathically called out to him. Or at least that's what Hayden said. That's what Hayden said in one of the documentaries I watched. Keep in mind that Hayden is the former head of a now-defunct International uh, Unidentified Flying Objects Bureau, IUFO. So, you know, not exactly the most reliable witness. Certainly not somebody you want on your side in a trial. I'm sorry, who are you? Uh, I'm the former head of an alien discovery organization disbanded after it couldn't find aliens. Got it. Uh, no further questions, Your Honor. But you haven't asked any questions. Uh, no further questions, Your Honor. Uh, what kind of place are you at in your life when, you, when, you, when you're able to get suckered in by traveling evangelists, preaching a sermon based on being God and space Jesus? and how they're trying to prepare a few select people to take the next evolutionary leap, shed their physical meat vessels, buy a ticket on God's heavenly spaceship. What has gone wrong in your life to leave you in a mental place where you, you know, you just think, yeah, no, no, just keep talking. Keep talking. This is making a lot of sense. You know, I've been looking for some answers in this crazy life, and by God, I think I, think I just found them. I think this is what's working for me. Apparently, most of the early uh, HIM members... We're former members of like, you know, countercultural revolution stuff in the, in the late 60s and early 70s. They, you know, many of them had previously belonged to other kind of cult type groups, other fringe religious groups. You know, and, and I think people into, into fringe new age spiritual activity like tarot cards and astrology charts, you know, that kind of stuff was the early members. It does crack me up whenever I tease uh, in the time suck, whenever I joke around about like tarot cards or astrology, I get, I get a couple angry emails. Hey, man, why are you picking on astrology? Do you even know anything about astrology? Seems a little close minded, you know? After the Salem Witch Trials uh, episode, I got some emails. Why are you making fun of Wiccans? Do you know anything about Wiccans? Your judgment seems a little close-minded. Look, look, in the spirit of honesty that I try to provide on this show, I don't know much about astrology. I don't know much about the Wiccan religion. I don't know much about tarot card readings. However, I do know it is a fringe belief system in that not as many people believe it compared to a more mainstream religion like Christianity. Right, like I don't know if it's more or less spiritually spiritually legitimate than a major, more accepted form of religion or spirituality. Uh, faith is totally subjective. I mean, honestly, when I read <laughs> Revelations, it seems as insane to me uh, as anything that the you know Heaven's Gate cult people were into. But but I do know that far less people practice it, and I also know that the more marginalized the belief system is, it's less and less likely that a mainstream average member of society is going to give it a shot. Right, like Christianity has its uh, even if you're you know Christian. I know a lot of my listeners are Christian. 
and you know that you know we've totally agreed to disagree, and I, I like how cool you guys are, and I, and I try to be. I know I joke around, but I, but you respect that you you get to believe what you want. Um, but even even Christians would agree that there's some wackadoodles, <laughs> right in 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 the religion, right? But there's also a, a lot of mainstream members. There's a lot of people uh, who don't feel uncomfortable going to like you know a Christian church or you know a cathedral because you know a large portion of the rest of the community is also going. You know they got coworkers going, you got families and friends going. You know, and, and some of them are fairly casual with it. Some of them, they, they show up, they listen to a few words, you know, they put a few bucks in the collection plate, and then they go about their lives like everybody else. You know, while Christianity has its backwoods snake charmers, it also has college professors across, I'm assuming, every facet of academia. It has doctors, lawyers, CEOs, highest-ranking members of, you know, our government. We, I mean, we've had a lot of openly Christian presidents. In fact, Thomas Jefferson, here's a little trivia, Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln are the only two presidents who didn't publicly profess to be Christian. And even those two were assumed to have Christian leanings, right, at the very least. But we have never had a single openly Wiccan president. We have never had a president who publicly claims to receive astrological guidance, and we won't anytime soon because mainstream America would reject that. Mainstream America would never vote for an openly Wiccan candidate or, or a candidate who made decisions based on planetary alignments, you know, just – I uh, will decide what to do about North Korea just as soon as I get another good look at the astrology chart. Need to make sure Venus is not in retrograde. All right, going to figure out what I'm going to do about ISIS. But first, I need to rearrange the quartz crystals on my nightstand so that my dream vibrations are correctly calibrated. Definitely going to make a decision about healthcare reform. I just, I got to I gotta visit my, my coven a few more times. Got to work out a few more new spells. And again, I'm not, I really am not saying these beliefs are crazier than other religious beliefs, but I'm just saying that fringe group beliefs don't contain... Uh, the same average member of society is often, right? Like, like <laughs> they, they for sure contain people who are willing to consider possibilities that more mainstream groups of people would never entertain. And that level of curiosity and tolerance towards new and exciting and outside-the-box kind of ideas is, is what leads people to join a cult. That's, that's exactly the kind of person that will end up in a cult. The person who's just kind of open to like, yeah, whatever, alien stuff, Wiccan stuff. I mean, it's just like the, the, whatever. It doesn't matter how far out there, how off the beaten path it is, they're willing to entertain it. Uh, okay. So I get emails uh, also about, about not being tolerant sometimes, and I don't think you should always be tolerant. I know I've already addressed this a little bit. You know, Be open-minded enough to look into what any cult or belief system has to say. Fine. But then also don't be afraid to be like, this is fucking bullshit. This is not for me. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I think that's important too. Or, you know, again – you're, you know, way more likely than the average person to end up in a cult like this. Okay, so now Doe and T are offering prospective members uh, deliverance from Earth in a spaceship in the immediate future. This is their their plan right now. Amid news coverage that range from hostility to ridicule, the group continues to gather members, and the members uh, gather money for the movement by selling plasma to blood banks and asking for donations from Christian bookstores. So, you know, killing it financially with their new cult. Yes, we have a spot reserved for you on the spaceship, but we're a little low on funds. Waiting for the spaceship to get close enough to board, so we're going to need you to sell some, some of your blood for 10 bucks. And then in 1975, a wealthy Chicago land developer quits his business, leaves his wife, and joins the group, giving them a whole shitload of money. Ho ho, jackpot! A rich sucker. That's exactly what everybody, every cult needs, right? Devoted followers are great and all, you know, too, you know but too many of those poor followers is going to bring down the whole ship. Can't buy matching tracksuits, spend all day talking about space Jesus, you know, and about what world you're going to explore once you get on the ship, you, you know, without some, without some Benjamins flowing into the cult cash box from time to time. That's what I need. I mean, you guys are great. I'm glad you guys all listen. But if I can get one of you to give me a million dollars to keep the suck going, well, 
then you're going to get what you want, Mr. Millionaire. Uh, the, early, the early group ballooned to about 60 or 70 people, caravaned around the U.S., staying at campgrounds and places they determined to be good energy states like Colorado. And apparently old Doe and, and, and T, old Bo and Peep, old Tweedledee and Tweedlefuckface uh, kept dangling this carrot of an upcoming metamorphosis in front of the faithful. Just, you know, any day now, any day now, and, and we'll head to the spaceship. And any day we're going to get the word. Uh, one former cult member recalled uh, another cult member openly buying toothpaste, or only, excuse me, only buying toothpaste in those tiny little travel-sized tubes because she assumed, you know, that she wouldn't need a big tube because they were, they were taken off any day now, any day now. Uh, much like later's, uh, later Heaven's Gate incarnation, the members of him all began to dress bo- uh, alike and, and also androgynously. Everyone had the same, you know, kind of bowl haircut situation. Sexuality completely suppressed. Individual, individuality completely uh, suppressed. 1976, uh, Bonnie Nettles, a.k.a. T, a.k.a. Madam Ding Dong, uh, announced the doors to the next level were now closed, and the group stopped recruiting new members, began to concentrate on their teachings uh, just to their followers. Guessing the bank accounts were looking good, and they were just tired of trying to convince more people to abandon their families, friends, careers, sex lives, Follow them around looking for a spaceship. It's got to be a tough sell. 1977, group receives a windfall in the form of a large inheritance received by one of its members. Praise space, Jesus. You know they had to have moments after they closed off the membership doors when they were like, are you sure it was a good idea to kind of just stop getting them? I mean, these guys are great, but we're not exactly killing it at the plasma centers. Uh, in the early 80s, the group starts to lose recruits, tired of waiting to hop on Jesus' spaceship. I love that that's a real thing that happened. Followers, you know, started taking off. Just, what are you, what are you mad about, Jamal? I'm tired of waiting, I'm tired of waiting to get on Jesus' spaceship. I'm not a mental health expert, but if you, if you ever feel like you're just sick to death of waiting to get on board Jesus' spaceship, you are completely out of your mind. You need to leave your compound and you need to walk straight to a mental health facility. And before we march on, I want to explain uh, exactly what these followers are being taught at this time in a little more detail. Uh, Marshall Applewhite, a.k.a. Doe, a.k.a. Captain Banana Brains, you know, he, he stated that the extraterrestrial mind that once resided in Jesus's uh, body is now in his body. You know, they're teaching everybody that 2,000 years ago, a group of extraterrestrials came down to Earth from the kingdom of heaven, the next level. One of these was Doe. Doe was given instructions by T, his female companion, whom, whom he referred to as his heavenly father. Doe then left his body behind, transported to Earth in a spaceship, and incarnated moved into a human body, that of Jesus Christ. That's how Jesus got here. And then a second group of extraterrestrials returned to Earth, all right, starting in the 1920s, or I guess came to Earth. I said, I don't know if they were back once. What? It's a little confusing, their teachings, because they're so all over the fucking map, and they changed as their group evolved. Uh, but this, a second group is coming to do some other stuff, I guess, in the 1920s, and Doe is the captain of this expedition. Okay, I think I kind of get what they were what they're trying to say at this time. So he comes back, Jesus, he, he, he gets crucified, and then he, and then he goes back into the spaceship, and then they go back to off their fucking space world, float, float around in the spaceship for a while. Then they come back in the 20s, they return, and Doe was the captain of this expedition, and T was the admiral, and then they each moved into another human body, but somehow lost track of the rest of the crew. I love it when creators of a religious mythology, they just, they run into a tough kind of piece of creation narrative, and they just, they don't even try to make sense. <laughs> they just they just gloss over something that is complete nonsense, right? Like how do you how do you teach that? How what, what were they saying in this meeting? So so God and God's Son are almighty omnipotent beings, and they arrived here two thousand years ago on their spaceship with important messages for humanity, and humanity received those messages, and Christianity was born. See that's how 
That's how that works. And then 60 years ago, space God and, and space Jesus came back, okay? Because after he got crucified, they, they took off to space. They had to, they had to do some, they had to go refuel or something. They had to get some more space stuff taken care of. And then they came back with more messages, okay? Do you follow? But then uh, space God and space Jesus lost, they lost track of some crew members. They got distracted, or something for about, you know, for about 50 years. Because, hey, because listen, even Space Jesus makes mistakes. He's got a lot on his mind. He's got a lot on his space mind. He's thinking about intergalactic navigation, comet trajectories, refueling schedules. Some guy he doesn't like on Jupiter has been in his head. He's low on blood sugar. He gets dizzy. Sometimes he can't keep track of stuff. And, you know, and you lose your crew for five decades when that happens. <clears throat> you know, okay, are we still there? So then... All of the original crew members, those are you guys. Do you follow? And you're the originals, and you have the alien spirits in you. Just like I have Jesus' space brain in my head, you have a crew member's space brain in your head, and that's why all of this makes sense. That's why this message resonates with you. Do you get it now? Do you understand now? Okay, who wants some sandwiches? Who wants some egg salad sammies? Okay. (laughs) Ah, Doe taught that Earth was going to be recycled in the very near future. You find recycling is a global renewing in which life as we know it would be wiped away and then would start anew. In, in one of his later Heaven's Gate initiation tapes, which you can find on YouTube again, uh, he talks about this recycling. And let's, let's, let's just see from the, from the horse's mouth, from the crazy horse's mouth, let's see what he has to say. You know, intelligent human beings should realize that everything has their cycle. They have their season. They have their beginning. They have their end. They have cycles. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another human civilization. Come on, dummy, wake up. If you're intelligent, you'll believe everything I'm saying right now. Oh my God, I love the logic leaps cult leaders always make. You you know how the Earth has has seasons, right? And and you know that nature works in in cycles, right? Well, the the Earth itself is about to be completely recycled, and all human life upon it will be wiped clean. That's logical, right? No, motherfucker, it's not. It's not right. It reminds me of like uh, some brief sales training I had, uh, rather manipulation training years ago. Uh, when I when I briefly worked as a physical trainer, 24-hour fitness, yes, at one point, I was actually in great shape, and they were training us to sell training packages, and, and part of that training was to get people in the habit of saying yes to simple, obvious questions, because it was proven if you get people in the habit of saying yes, it would increase the odds. They would then later say yes to a question that had, like, you know, financial significance, like a purchasing question. Like, basically, like, you, you want to be healthy. I mean, you want to be healthy, right? I mean, you think it's important to take care of yourself, right? You see the value of exercise, Right. Well, you understand that having an expert help you accomplish something is more effective than just trying to figure it out yourself, right? You see the value in training, right? You want this $1,200 training sessions package, right? It's just gross manipulation disguised as a, as a sales technique, and he's clearly using it there. Uh, maybe unaware that he's you know consciously doing that, but he's doing it. By 1982, Doe and T uh, and their teachings have become known enough to inspire a movie, The Mysterious Two, about two aliens who visit the Earth in an, an effort to enlist converts to travel the universe with them. Uh, the two aliens were based on Marshall and Bonnie. If you find like this on on YouTube, this movie, uh, some people mistakenly think that Bonnie, that like you know Marshall Applewhite and and Bonnie were 
inspired by the movie. But no, they actually were known by 1982 already, and the movie was inspired off of them. And then the cult hits another bump in the road when T gets brain cancer. In 1983, uh, she has one eye removed in an attempt to emulate her new prophet, Bojangles. Three-legged, one-eyed Pitbull and prophet of T's new god, Nimrod. Hail Nimrod. And the puppy stomping begins, and the sacrifices made to appease Nimrod begin. But Nimrod is not appeased, and the cancer continues to spread. All right, the Bojangles-Nimrod stuff didn't happen, but she really did lose an eye to brain cancer, and then she died in, in June of 1985 uh, in Dallas, Texas. And her death seemed to contradict the group's teachings. Up until T's death, they actually believed that they would be able to take their physical body with them to space. Like, they would just actively kind of walk on or be beamed up by the spaceship. Uh, you know, just come pick him up. But Applewhite was, uh, you know, he had to do some smooth talking, and then he was able to explain and justify her moving on ahead of the group, cross out a few sections of his pamphlets he'd been working on, write in a few new added rules here and there, you know, probably tricky. Look, I know you're all confused because you gave us your earthly possessions and left your lives and loved ones in exchange for T and I's guidance, in exchange for us taking you to the spaceship, and then she died, and that's confusing. But don't don't worry, this doesn't change the plan. Actually, there... There was a problem on the spaceship. I didn't want to say anything, but one of one of the saucer wings on the spaceship was dented in a meteor shower, and, and T decided that she should go up there and fix it, because she's God. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't need to end up in the shop for a hundred years, because if it did that, and it had to fix it in the space shop, then we, then we would miss our flight and have to wait longer than our human vessels allows. If you think Earth mechanics take a long time, it is... Nothing compared to space mechanics. They get you in for an oil change, and then the next thing you know, you're having your flux capacitor totally refurbished. Who who wants an egg salad sandwich? For the next several years, following T's death, Marshall and 20 or so followers bounce around from location to location, Texas, Colorado, Utah, living off their existing funds, basically kind of keeping to themselves, regrouping, you know, after T's death. They don't actively try and recruit new members for a while. Marshall just focuses on, you know, recalibrating his teachings. Making sense of T's death, mastering the art of endlessly staring into the camera without ever blinking, or even slightly relaxing his Looney Tune eyes, saying the craziest shit ever in a calm voice to make it more palatable, listening to God talk to him from space, you know, cult leader stuff, one-on-one shit. 1993, Applewhite renames his sect, calling it Total Overcomers Anonymous, before changing that again to Heaven's Gate, and he continues to preach the message of Earth's imminent recycling. The group also finds a way to both make money and recruit new members. After those earlier members left, uh, the ones who were supposedly, you know, members of Space Jesus' old crew, guess they had to open the books again. Look, look, I know that I said that some of our former members were my old spaceship crew, and that's why we closed off membership. And, and then those people left, and that, that looks bad. But that, that was just a test. I told them they were my old crew to make them feel good, and there were a few extra seats on the spaceship, and some of them... Some of the people were old crew, but those of you who have stayed, you're the only real old crew. Look, I this is hey, look at that, look at that, look at that squirrel. Look at how fast that squirrel can run. Huh. Uh, anyway, uh, time for lunch. Let's have, let's have some food and forget about it. Uh, and then they get into web design, man. Web design. That's how they start, the start the cult starts making that money. I love that. Like, why not? You know, they build websites for customers uh, using the name Higher Authority. <laughs> and they counted the San Diego Polo Club, a local uh, topiary company, and the Christian music store among their clients. Those guys must have been pissed when, uh, you know, when, when the cult has the mass suicide. How's higher authorities tech support? You know, it used to be great, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But then uh, pretty spotty since the entire company killed itself a few weeks back. 
Apparently, they did, they did you know, uh, uh, pretty well with their web design, making about $400,000 a year, enough money to do stuff like run a full-page ad to recruit new members in USA Today. Anyone who responded with strong interest was told that the reason they responded was because an alien presence was inside of them. Right? They were a member of a spaceship crew, and it was almost time to come home. Remember he was talking about that earlier? And then they had their own site uh, built that they, that they used as a recruitment tool, heavensgate.com. That site still exists. The message on the homepage is the same message that was posted before the mass suicide of the group in 97. It says, whether Hale-Bopp has a companion or not is irrelevant from our perspective. However, its arrival is joyously very significant to us at Heaven's Gate. The joy is that the older member in the evolutionary level above human, the kingdom of heaven, has made it clear to us that Hale-Bopp's approach is the marker we've been waiting for, the time for the arrival of the spacecraft from the level above human to take us home to their world. In the literal heavens, our 22 years of classroom here on planet Earth is finally coming to conclusion, graduation from the human evolutionary level. We are happily prepared to leave this world and go with T's crew. If you study the material on this website, you will hopefully understand our joy and what our purpose here on Earth has been. You may even find your boarding pass to leave with us during this brief window. We are so very thankful that we have been recipients of this opportunity to prepare for membership in the kingdom and to experience the boundless caring and nurturing. And then there's all kind of links to just insane literature written by Marshall and Bonnie over the years. Uh, and you can also still contact a representative of Heaven's Gate on this active website. I actually did. They got back to me. More on that in a little bit. Okay, January 17, 1994, 6.7 Richter scale earthquake known as the Northridge earthquake rocks the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, killing over 50 people, causing billions in damage. Doe feels like this is a sign that the end is near. Recycling is right around the corner. 1995, soon after the discovery of the comet Hale-Bopp, the Heaven's Gate members become convinced that their spacecraft, piloted by T, is on its way to Earth, hidden from human detection behind the comet. October 1996, Applewhite rents a large home in Rancho Santa Fe, a suburb of San Diego, explaining to the owner that his group was made up of Christian-based angels. Wish I could have witnessed that exchange. So what do you guys do? Uh, you're, uh, you're a web company, is that right? Uh, we're partly a web company, but mostly we're a group of Christian-based angels waiting for the return of T, my partner and father, so that we may depart our physical containers and ascend to the next evolutionary level. Huh. Okay, buddy. Well, uh, whatever. As long as, the, as long as the checks keep clearing, I, I don't give a shit. You can be king fucking tut for all I care. Uh, I'll, I'll have a plumber over later this week to knock out that dishwasher leak so, uh, none of you, uh, you know, angels, uh, slip on the kitchen floor and bust, bust a wing or some shit. And I don't know why a redneck guy would be would be the would be the landlord in San Diego there, but he but he was okay. And then less than six months later, in March of 1997, the largest mass suicide on American soil would take place. Uh, Thirty nine Heaven's Gate members would try to find their spaceship. Let's hop on out of this timeline, examine a few more aspects of Heaven's Gate before we suck on their absolute final moments. Good job, soldier. You've made it back barely. So what I kept wondering as I'm researching all this, uh, who were the other members of this group? Well, let's look at some brief bios. Uh, one member of Heaven Gate, one of the 39, uh, was Cheryl Butcher, 42, a computer trainer. Butcher was a shy, bright, self-taught computer expert who spent her life in Applewhite's orbit. Growing up in Springfield, Missouri, she was the perfect daughter, says her father Jasper, a retired federal corrections officer. She was a good student. She did charity work, candy striper stuff. But according to Virginia Norton, her mom, she was also a loner. She watched a lot of TV and read. Making friends was hard for her. That is, until she joined the cult in 1976. She wrote me a letter once, says Norton, that said, Mother, be happy. Be happy that I'm happy. 
Another time, she ended the letter with, look higher. Okay, so we got a loner in the group. Makes sense. David Van Sinderen, 48, environmentalist, was another member. Uh, when I was four, he saved me from drowning, says publicist Sylvia Abate of her big brother David. The son of a former telephone company CEO, David became an environmentalist. Uh, don't be hurt. I'm not doing this to you, Abbott says. He told his family after he joined the cult in 1976. So he's an early guy right after that initial problem when the UFO didn't come and they got new members. He was one of the first to hop on board. Uh, it's something I have to do for me. Visiting his sister in 87, he puzzled her with his backseat driving, then apologized, explaining that cult members drove with a partner at all times so they would have an extra set of eyes. Says his sister, that's the kind of care they had for one another. We also had Alfonso Foster, 44, bus driver. On the surface, he was full of promise, intelligent and handsome. He devoured books on philosophy and spirituality. But says James Hannon, who roomed with Alfonso in Minneapolis in the 70s, he didn't do so well on the practical details of life. He was a free spirit who was rarely able to hold a job. He sank into a deep depression after his mom died in 1980. And then Hannon wasn't surprised when Foster joined Heaven's Gate Cult in 1994 after talking on the phone with Applewhite for 20 minutes. He didn't like much about his life in this dimension, says Hannon. He wanted to go beyond. We also had Julie LaMontagne, uh, 45, a nurse. Ray LaMontagne's mom. Ray LaMontagne's uh, mom was, no, that's not true. I just thought that when I had her. No, she, uh, this is a different LaMontagne. Uh, Julie LaMontagne was raised by a foster family, spent much of her childhood studying and eventually getting her nursing degree from the University of Massachusetts at Amherst, graduating cum laude in 1974. Shortly afterwards, she saw her best friend drowned and her birth father, Jules, who with whom she had remained close, died of cancer. And the death just made her collapse, says her brother Andrew. We could never get her back after that. She drifted through a series of New England communes until she stumbled on Heaven's Gate in the late 70s. She soon became Applewhite's personal nurse. Okay, so, you know, that one makes sense. She's somebody who, you know, given up on life. She's already bounced around in communes and then finds this. We got Margaret Richter, 46, computer whiz. She was a class of 69 valedictorian at Los Plumas High School, award-winning orator, and drum majorette of the marching band. Margaret Field was successful at everything she tried, recalled a teacher. We expected her to become governor or president, says classmate Fred Carrion. But, in, but her 1969 marriage to Berkeley classmate David Richter fizzled after just a few years, and it left her shattered. That's what changed her, says her father, Emery, 76. Through, uh, though she earned a master's degree in computer science at UCLA, she seemed to be losing interest in life in 1975 when she encountered the cult. She wrote her family that May, saying, Here's hoping I get a UFO trip for Christmas. <laughs> wow. After 21 years of little contact with her daughter, her mother, Virginia, concludes, If you're going to change the world, you got to stay here to change it. I totally agree. You don't get to fucking go off in a pretend spaceship. Michael Barr, Sando, 25, ex-paratrooper, another member. Uh, UFO sighting might not have been much uh, more startling to residents of rural Abington, Virginia in the Blue Ridge foothills than news that one of their own was among the Heaven's Gate dead. Sando, son of an evangel uh, evangelical minister, had been decorated for his service as an infantry paratrooper in Desert Storm in 91, and friends remember him as a popular senior class president. He seemed carefree, wanting to have fun, says Patricia Pasco. He was always a class clown. To Sando's family, word of his suicide came as a double shock. The other family seemed to know their son or daughter was involved in the cult, says half-brother James. We didn't. And the list goes on and on, man. Members were artists, medical assistants, accomplished entrepreneurs, drifters, homemakers, salesmen, spiritual seekers. Okay, so now let's talk about what these people did. The day before en enacting their meticulously planned suicides, the cult went out for a last supper, uh, like a last outing supper, together at Marie Callender's restaurant in Carlsbad. They all ordered the exact same thing, a waiter recalled to the paper. This is with the BBC article. Uh, it was set up before they came in. 
They all had iced teas to drink, dinner salads beforehand with tomato vinegar dressing, turkey pot pie for the entree, cheesecake with blueberries on top for dessert. They seemed very nice, very friendly, very polite. No one seemed depressed at all or anything like that. Seriously, Marie Callender's? And you got to order the same thing? You can't go to an awesome steakhouse and get what the fuck you want? Ah, come on. Like, nothing against Marie Callender's. I like some of their pies. I like some of their strawberry pies. It's fine for a family dinner, but last meal, fuck Marie Callender's. Go all out. Get a credit card. Get a credit card specifically for your last meal. You know, eat the most expensive food you can find. It's not like you're going to have to pay it off later. And I guess also, be shortly before the mass suicide, uh, they recorded a bunch of exit videos. Each of the members recorded like an exit video, and those are actually still online. So disturbing. I want to play a little clip from one of them. This is something that I uh, have been thinking about, and uh, this is something I'm doing on my own free will, and nobody is really, you know, forcing me to do this. It's something that I know deep inside is right for me, and I feel like that's important. Uh, The next level gives everybody uh, their rights. They're very rights conscious, and they give them the freedom to do whatever they want. And I feel this is part of the freedom that they have given us and the choice they have given us. And I am very excited about going. I can hardly wait, and I'm ready to go. Wow, man, he's he's ready to go. And uh, yeah, and sorry about the audio quality on those. The, the video quality itself is a little low. And then I'm uh, I'm recording from a from a hotel room again, with my my little makeshift studio on the road, just because of my travel. Uh, but yeah, man, so disturbing. Wow, man, he's very excited. He's he, they can't wait. And 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 if you watch more of those, they're all like no one seems hesitant at all. They they just this is what they've been you know waiting for. This is what they've been dedicating their lives towards. Um, yeah, with no, it's not like a sad thing. Like Jim Jones was so different. I guess I'll talk more about that later, but the Jim Jones one, you know, people were like, why? No, we don't, we don't want to kill ourselves. It was like so much sadder. Uh, if you listen to the audio clips of their final moments, you know, a lot of people clearly did not want to do this. These guys, man, this is what they've been spending their entire adult life working towards. So on March 24th, the suicides began, uh, 15 members committed suicide on March 24th, another 15 on March 25th then nine final ones on March 26th. In total, 21 women, 18 men died. Yeah, they all took uh, crushed sleeping pills, the sedative phenobarbital, um, you know, mixed it into either applesauce or pudding, and then washed it down with vodka. The surviving members, uh, they would take a, then place a plastic bag over the drugged member's head once they were asleep to ensure death. Obviously, the final nine couldn't do that, but that's what the rest did. Uh, loved that there was a choice between applesauce and pudding. You know originally there was only going to be one option. Like originally it was just pudding, but then the whiniest member of the cult was, you know, lactose intolerant or something, you know, just couldn't do it. Okay, uh, so we'll mix the sleeping pills into the pudding now. Uh, yeah, yeah, about the pudding. Uh, you guys all know I'm lactose intolerant. You, you know, usually I try not to make a big deal about it. I mean, the cheesecake the other night at Marie Callender's destroyed me. My stomach is just getting over it now. Can I please put the sleeping pill powder in something else? Well, well, Hank, it, it kind of goes against the whole Team Unity vibe we have. I mean, we're all wearing matching outfits. We're, we're all doing it the same way. Can, can you please just have the pudding? It's going to upset my stomach, like big time. Yes, but you'll, you'll soon be unconscious, and then you'll be on the, on the spaceship, and it, and it won't matter. Well, I mean, that's what we think, I don't, I, but I don't want to have my last moments with my physical container to be gassy. I don't want to remember taking the next evolutionary step by sharding my way to a comet tail. <sighs> okay, Hank. Apple applesauce. Is applesauce fine? Woohoo! Yeah. All the cult members uh, died virtually identical deaths. Uh, they were found neatly on their beds, 
with square purple cloths over their upper torsos. They all wore a matching black shirt, sweatpants. Each member had a $5 bill and three quarters in their pockets. They were all wearing identical black and white Nike Decade sneakers. And then the company soon uh, dis- discontinued that style due to the association with uh, Heaven's Gate. Since then, uh, random trivia, the shoes have become a collector's item. An unworn pair, apparently discovered in a storage unit in Arizona, just went up for auction on eBay a while back. Uh, 6660 bucks was the auction price. Uh, they used Apple White's face as part of the advertising. I love the quarters in the pocket, too, and the $5. Like, that was never explained. No one can ever figure out exactly, or no one's ever said exactly for sure what that was for, but there's speculation. It was like, like almost like a, like bus fare, like spaceship fare. God, I hope that's true. Like, like that, like what a weird, yes, God is ready for us. We are going to be on the spaceship. One last thing. We don't look, we're going to leave our physical containers. We, we will transmit to the spaceship, but when we get there to get in the space store, you do have, you, it takes 575 U.S., it does, you do have to pay five seventy five to get on board because that would be – we have to put that on our pocket. That would be a real bummer to make it all the way to the comet tail. We've left our physical containers, and then we just kind of have to shrivel away in space because, you know, we didn't, we didn't have the five seventy five that you need. Where the fuck do they come up with this stuff? Uh, mental illness is where they come up with this. Um, many of those who, who killed themselves have been at, with Apple White for 22 years at this point. Man, how do you live with some dude for that long and still convince yourself he's the second coming? You had to have seen him fuck up countless, countless times over two decades. Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you start to question why God f- forgets to flush a toilet all the time or why God for sure farted during the football game the other, the other day but refused to fess up or, how, or why God just can't properly grill a ribeye to save his fucking life? Uh, three Heaven's Gates members, Rio D'Angelo a.k.a. Richard Ford, and Mark and Sarah King did not commit suicide in 97. Rio was at the compound in Rancho Santa Fe a few weeks uh, before the deaths and then left to ensure future dissemination of Heaven's Gate videos and literature, and the other two stayed around to to run the website. Uh, Richard, he wrote a short essay, Richard, a.k.a. Rio, uh, he wrote a short essay about his life in the years since uh, suicide in L.A. Weekly just earlier this year, and he kicked it off by saying, I'm glad to be alive and planning to stay that way. And then he says, I have a wonderful life with purpose. I am alive not because I rejected anything about Heaven's Gate. I am alive because I have discovered something so extraordinarily important to the world that it needs to be passed on to you in its most true and accurate form from me. He's still very much a believer. Uh, Later on, he says, I want you all to know that I was a member of Heaven's Gate from 1994 to 1997. I know everything worth knowing about them, and I can say with absolute undeniable certainty that Heaven's Gate was indeed the second coming of Jesus. Well, there you go. He he just said it. So everything I was joking about earlier, uh, I'm going to have to admit I was wrong now because, I mean, he said undeniable certainty. He said said undeniable certainty. So you know what? Fuck, now I wish I could have gone on the the spaceship run because that, that, that was our chance. So all of us listening right now, we all fucked up. We all missed our spaceship chance. I don't care if you weren't even born yet. You fucked up. You 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 should have been born earlier. Your spirit, your alien spirit, should have told you. I don't know. And despite the mass suicide of the overwhelmingly majority of the overwhelming majority of the group, he's against suicide. Supposedly Rio is saying, "I am against suicide," and so was the group. What happened to Heaven's Gate was an exit, the end of the spirit reincarnation process, and the beginning of a life as a soul in the level above human. You know, they exited their bodies and are now with their guide and teacher in the spirit world, the valley of the shadow of death, helping misguided spirits before their ascension. What in the fuck? I am here to bring you the truth and to clarify information for you to examine, also to help with understanding the next steps after the second coming, if that is your choice. 
I am not here to convince you to do anything or to believe any of this. If it speaks to you, use it. If not, go on. No one will die from reading my book. Okay, I'm going to go on. I'm going to go on. He is, man, he has not stopped drinking the crazy juice. Uh, the book, by the way, titled Beyond Human Mind, The Soul Evolution of Heaven's Gate, is out of print, unavailable on Amazon, but if you really want it, I found one used copy for sale on a website called Abe's Books. That's Abe's Books, $178. Not kidding. Uh, so, so you know, uh, I don't plan on reading this one, but knock yourself out if you want to learn more and grab that bad boy. Uh, the other two remaining members are the two people who maintain the group's uh, website, heavensgate.com. Uh, journalists online are pretty sure their names are Sarah and Mark King and pretty sure they live in Phoenix, but they won't confirm their identities. These two former members did attempt to gain control of the possessions and estate of Heaven's Gate following the 1997 mass suicide, but were unable to do so. Uh, the belongings were auctioned off by San Diego County's uh, property division, but they were able to purchase the intellectual property of the group, the website, manuscripts, artwork, computers, patches, uh, bearing the group's logo, etc., for $2,000. And, and you can still contact them via the website. You can still email them at rep at heavensgate.com. REP at heavensgate.com, and I did. And within 24 hours, they got back to me. On September 20th, 8.39 p.m. Pacific Time, I wrote in saying, Hello, I find it very frustrating that I can't join Doe and T on the next level. Why won't our holy ship return when there are so many of us who, know, who, I, who I know still want to leave this planet and evolve before it's recycled? I am already celibate and care not for the frivolous and vapid rewards of this world. I am ready. I promise I am. How can I help... And what can I do to prove my readiness to shed this physical container and advance my spiritual evolution? Also, in the meantime, I am skilled in web design and can help maintain the site if you need help or would like to update to a WordPress site. Respect respectfully yours, Reverend Dr. Daniel Cummins Esquire. Yeah, I laid it on pretty thick. Laid it on pretty thick. Um, not so, but I uh, don't know shit about web design. Uh, but I did hear back. And when I did, I was positively giddy. They responded at nearly 1 a.m. the following morning, the morning of the 21st, saying... We are powerless to do anything about this. We have to wait like you do. We will keep you in mind for the other off for the other offers you have made. <laughs> That's good. So I may hear from them in the future. I couldn't stop here. I wrote back just before 11 a.m. on the 21st. I kicked it up a notch. And I said, thank you for your response. I understand your position. For myself, I have decided to attempt a leap to the kingdom of God on December 16th, 2018, when Comet 46P Watanen will be less than 8 million miles from Earth. I understand you have to stay. I understand many may doubt my ability to make it to the evolutionary level above human in the kingdom of God. Let me help your continued efforts after I am gone. I have no family I am close with, no children. But thanks to my mother, who shed her own physical container on November 14, 2011, I do have several real estate holdings in California. Two rental buildings, one with eight units in the Koreatown neighborhood of Los Angeles and one with four units in the Larchmont neighborhood. I myself live in a three-bedroom home in Bellevue, Washington. Based on recent tax data and rudimentary market analysis, the combined value of these dwellings is a conservative $6.5 million. I would like to leave these possessions and what savings I have with Heaven's Gate when I pass and leave my lower forces behind. I meditated throughout the night and feel that Doe spoke to me from the next level. I now believe it blasphemous for myself to deny his transmission. Please instruct me on how to proceed with my earthly belongings. I want to leave everything behind and be taken to my father's house. I am so grateful that Doe was chosen as a conduit to show me the way and brave enough to heed the word. Respectfully yours, Reverend Doctor Daniel Cummins, Esquire. See, I just wanted to see if they really believe their own teachings. 
or if they were just some deluded con artists, right? Just some manipulators hanging on, waiting for people to give them some more money. I was wanted to see if they would take the bait and condone me killing myself in order to give them real estate investments. To their credit, they did not. They wrote back one last time, almost exactly 24 hours later, saying, sorry, don't commit suicide for us. No one has transmissions with dough. You can only communicate in person and other physical means. Okay, okay, respect. Respect, remaining Heaven's Gate member. Uh, you're not trying to weasel me out of anything. All right, I find this fascinating, man. They're still really committed to the teachings. After all these years, they believe that if you didn't make it to the spaceship with the other members back in 97, you just have to wait for another ship to make its presence known or just die and end up getting recycled when the Earth gets spaded under in their Armageddon belief. And if you're a true believer, when this spaded under happenings happens, you know, uh, you, you get to go meet up with Doe and T, finally. Here's, here's what they say about that on their website. There are souls, some of you here now, who have received a deposit of recognition, and that knowledge finds you desirous of connecting and bonding with the next level. Those who have the deposit of life will believe what we say and know who we are. If they continue in that belief, sustain that life, though the opposing space alien races will do anything to prevent them from nurturing that gift, they will be protected and saved from the approaching recycling and spading under of the civilization. They will have nothing to fear, nor will they know death, even if they lose their human body. That continued belief will one day find them a member in the level above human, in a physical body belonging to the true kingdom of God, the evolutionary level above human, leaving behind this temporal and perishable world for one that is everlasting and non-corruptible, holy batshit fucking crazy. Wow. So they believe, you know, that unless you let some other alien, like a, I, guess, I guess in their belief system, Satan... Is another alien. I didn't have time to read their entire belief system because I didn't have three years to, to wade through a fucking preposterous amount of insane writings to try and make sense of 20 years of gibberish. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, apparently they believe that uh, there's other, like Satan's, maybe he's another alien. He's trying to, there's just all these competing aliens out there trying to corrupt you. And there's the one good aliens, the space Jesus aliens, trying to take you to uh, heaven, which is a real place. Wow. Heaven's Gate felt, uh, felt so different to me than the other two uh, cults uh, explored for time suck, Scientology and Jim Jones. You know, uh, like L. Ron Hubbard with Scientology clearly had a massive ego and through manipulation and lies built himself a massive fortune, had people worship him, had sex with a variety of young women. I never felt like he bought his own teachings. It was very male egocentric. He was a fiction author who just wrote some more fiction. And that's why I have zero respect for Scientology. It's just like, get the fuck out of here. There's nothing spiritual about any of it. He just was a frustrated author. And he manipulated a bunch of people into thinking he was some godlike figure. I always felt like, you know, he, he didn't buy that any of that stuff he was selling. Jim Jones, you know, he, him either. You know, he clearly craved, uh, he clearly craved control and was, and, and was also, you know, he wasn't a believer. He, you know, he started out as a blatant con man with regards to his you know, fake faith healings. And he actually manipulated over the years Christians into eventually renouncing Christianity and buying into his communist beliefs, ones he'd had since a kid. You know, let's all live on a compound where I'm the leader. And I'm pretty much going to sexually abuse all of you. He's a fake faith healer. Uh, again, very male, ego-centric, you know, centric, very sex power, control. You know, Marshall, though, so different. Marshall Applewhite, he cut his goddamn balls off based on his <laughs> beliefs. You know, like literally had his balls taken off. He convinced others to get their balls off, right? He set up a website company, worked on for you to, to wait to board a spaceship, and then with no pressure from any government officials or any other authorities, like the pressure that led up to the mass suicide in Jonestown with Jim Jones, you know, where he killed himself and asked others to join him, uh, other members of Heaven Gate could have easily left, you know, unlike Jonestown, you know, they, 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 they could have just taken off. 
And he, and he did all, all based on, like, you know, like, astrology, like, based on a comet's orbit. To me, Jim Jones and, and L. Ron Hubbard, blatantly bad people. Blatant manipulators, sadistic, narcissists. I don't think Marsh Lavoie was bad, actually. I think he was just very mentally ill, like a very specific type of mental illness. You know, I think he was very delusional. And, and he clearly, to me, truly believed the gospel he preached. Believed it so wholeheartedly, he was able to convince others of its truth. You know, you watch his videos, he doesn't give the impression that he's some shrewd manipulator. He comes across as just fucking Looney Tunes, you know? And how did he get others to follow him? Well, quite simply, because life is hard. Life can appear bleak and pointless when you don't have some belief system tied to a higher power that you're part of already, a higher meaning, and I get that. I live that reality sometimes, you know, as a more agnostic kind of, mystery, you know, curious person, you know, it does, it, that's not always fun. Sometimes you just wish someone could be like, hey, man, this is how it all works. And you could be like, okay, I'm done. I'm tired of thinking about it. That's what I'll do. Uh, and, you know, and, and people, you know, we, de- we desperately want to be part of something bigger, something bigger than consumerism and strip malls and chain restaurants and sitcoms, something more exciting than soccer practice and suburbs and gossiping about who's cheating on who. You know, and I think some people, you know, want that so bad, something more so bad, they're just kind of waiting for the right person to come along and tell them what they want to hear. Tell them that they're special, man. God does have a plan for them, very important plan, a plan to, you know, uh, that, you know that you're going to see the fruits of very soon, man. You, you are one of the chosen people. You're one of the alien brains. Is in, is in you, not all these other people, but it's you because you're special. You know, and there's a plan. We're going to leave this mundane world, all its responsibilities. We're going to explore new worlds, man, become capable of doing more stuff. We're going to be higher, more higher evolved than you can even imagine. You know, and then you buy into this plan. You leave your family to join this plan. You say goodbye to your friends, you know, and your life to be part of this mission. And, and now you've been in it for years. And now he's like, okay, just got the word. We're taking off in March. Join T and the rest of the space crew all aboard. I think it would be weird at that point to not heed the call. And people are always like, how do these guys fucking kill themselves over that? How would they not have at that point? You know, this is the moment they've been waiting for. You know, Marshall, Marshall Lapwise, he's kind of just a dude offering, you know, membership to others and what he thought would be a better community. Wait a minute. That's kind of like what I'm trying to do with Time Suck. Have I talked to you guys about the Time Suck spaceship I've been building lately? Son of a bitch, we're the same human being. I record these episodes, all of them, wearing a black tracksuit with 575 in my pocket. No, we're not the same guy. He was far more bananas than myself, I hope. But to play devil's advocate, I, would do, I do always think about this kind of stuff when I'm researching these type of things. We don't know for sure it didn't work. Now, kind of a weird thought, right? Like, we don't know, not for sure. I mean, I, I don't believe it did. Not a part of me believes that it did, but I can't prove it didn't. I cannot prove there is not, there, or there was not some undetectable spaceship hiding behind the hale Bop comet, you know, back in 97 when it came close to Earth. Just like I can't prove that Jesus wasn't the real son of God, or Muhammad didn't speak with God, or that Joseph Smith didn't find secret gold tablets with God's words in them in a cave. It all, it's all faith. And when it comes to faith, man... I don't know. Do what you're going to do, but I, I just recommend be, be reasonable. You know, if, feel, if it feels good to pray to some presence, you know, beyond human comprehension, great. Just don't start thinking that it's actively talking to you, all right? Actually talking to God, it, it doesn't make you spiritual. It makes you fucking crazy. It makes you mentally ill. And stay away from a faith that asks you to kill yourself, right? That, that seems a bit like a bit much, you know? Uh, just like I can't prove that they're wrong, they can't prove uh, that they're right. It seems like an unnecessary risk to take. That type of extremism is what separates cults and religions to me. You know, you feel strongly that a belief in the afterlife and the existence of a loving God makes you a better person, gives your life meaning and purpose. Okay, harmless religion. You feel strongly that God has chosen you and you alone to convey new messages to the rest of the world and that other people should give you their money so you can continue with your important spiritual mission. Dangerous cult. You know, you believe you know God and, you know, who he is and that he hears your prayers. Harmless religion. You believe you know who God is and he personally has told you to stab your neighbor at midnight to keep your family from going to hell. Dangerous cult. 
You know, you, you like to wear a cross necklace because it visually reminds you to adhere to your faith-based morals and lets others know that you share the same morals that they do. Okay, harmless religion. You wear an aluminum foil hat to keep bad aliens from reading your mind and thwarting your plan to save mankind from Satan's minions. Whack-a-doodle. Me, I'm going to choose to believe in the suck, man. Hail Nimrod. I'm going to believe in mystery. Maybe when we die, there's nothing. Maybe maybe there's something cool waiting for us that we don't even know about. Why not believe in that? You know, you don't get a, you don't get a prize for believing in nothing when you die. That's why I can't be atheist, man. It's just too sad. Good, good job, atheist. <laughs> you win. Now have fun ceasing to exist. You know, have fun being worm food. And again, atheist, you could be right as well. But I digress. Let's refocus on Heaven's Gate for just a few more minutes with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, the mass suicide of Heaven's Gate was and remains the largest mass suicide of U.S. citizens on U.S. soil with 39 victims. More, you know, U.S. citizens died in Jonestown, but that was in South America, not San Diego. Number two, Marshall Applewhite convinced 20 people in Oregon in 1975 that a UFO would be landing and would take them to space. And then it did not happen. Uh, Good lesson here. Never kill yourself to board a spaceship when the person telling you it's the only way to get on that spaceship has a proven track record of being wrong about spaceships. Number three, Marshall Applewhite was once a choir director and early in life was heavily uh, involved in theatrical musicals, confirming what I've always suspected and that the theater kids are super weird. Number four, Heaven's Gate, still around, barely. They're down to three members, but they do have an active website, and you can email them, and even better, they will get back to you. So flood them. Send some messages to rep at heavensgate.com. See what you can get them to talk about. That's R- that's R-E-P at heavensgate, no spaces or punctuation, dot com. Have fun, man. Let me know if you get some, some cool stuff coming back. Number five, new info, random Trekkie trivia, the patch that the cult members... Uh, war on their death uniforms that, were, that read Heaven's Gate Away Team is a reference to Star Trek Next Generation. And Nichelle Nichols, who played the super hot and sexy boot-wearing Lieutenant Uhura in the original Star Trek show, actually had a brother who died with the Heaven's Gate group. There was a Trekkie kind of association. The role of Lieutenant Uhura was actually one of the first TV roles, by the way, for an African-American woman that wasn't uh, a role of a servant. Martin Luther King Jr. himself asked her to stay on the show when she thought she uh, for a while about quitting. Before his death, Thomas Nichols had confided to his older sister, Nichelle, that he was awaiting a rendezvous with the Comet. Uh, Thomas was a longtime member of the cult, and on Larry King Live, his sister said that until their mother died in 1992, she hadn't heard from him in 20 years. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Heaven's Gate has been sucked. So sad if you think too deeply about it. So don't. So don't think too deeply about it. Hope they're on a spaceship laughing at the rest of us. I really do. Don't think that's the case, but I hope so. Uh, Next week on The Suck, Amelia Earhart. What the hell happened to the first female pilot to take a plane across the Atlantic? So many theories have been exhaustively researched regarding her disappearance on July 2nd, 1937, when she flew across the Pacific in an attempt to circumnavigate the globe. Who was this early aviation pioneer? How did she become an American celebrity prior to her disappearance? Why didn't she take her husband's last name as her own during an age, you know, when it was taboo, pretty taboo uh, not to do so? Her husband, author and publisher, George P. Putnam, very successful book publisher, actually, uh, would be known in the press as Mr. Earhart. How crazy is that for the times? Uh, She was a nurse's aide, helping the American war effort in World War I, a successful author herself, holding a holder of numerous aviation records back when pilots could literally feel the wind blowing through their hair, which is insane to me, to be out in the open air like that up in a plane. A, dr- a true American original 
and another inspiring suck, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to examine her life, look into the theories regarding her death, which range from, you know, simply that she crashed into the ocean to uh, uh, a bunch of crazy stuff, like she flew back to the States and led a new secret life to being a spy for FDR. All kinds of, all kinds of interesting theories out there. Uh, all will be examined on Monday, this next Monday. Special thanks to Time Suckers, Alex, Dane, Jesse Howard, Pat House, everyone else who voted for the Heaven's Gate to be a bonus episode a while back on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I hope you liked this episode. And now let's look back at some previous episodes, you know, and let's look at, look at the show itself with some Time Sucker updates. Time sucker Andrew Wygand wrote in about the way I talk uh, recently, uh, saying, Greetings, suck commander. I notice that you very often <laughs> that you very often stumble over your words and use the wrong word. I love that it's very often. I guess that's true. I have a very similar problem getting words to come out right. How do you deal with this as a stand-up comedian where it's so critical to be able to use just the right word, the right inflection, the right timing, etc.? Do you ever find yourself struggling so much with articulation that you lose focus on the act? Has a slip-up ever caused you to blow a punchline? One last question. What, what is it like to tank on stage, and how do you get over it? Love the show. Keep up the great work. May you suck long. May you suck deep. In the name of Bojangles, Michael motherfucking McDonald, and the spirit of Nimrod's ball sack. Amen. Love it. Love it, Andrew. Well, honestly, uh, I, I think I'm able to get away with having a mush mouth because it's comedy. Like, I, I would be torn to shreds if I was a news anchor, for example. Uh, and you know, maybe, maybe struggling with correct pronunciation actually kind of helped, you know, lead to my life in comedy. I, I know I, I've always tried to work really hard on pronunciation. Some of the, some of my inability to, to hit words correctly is physical. I'm literally tongue tied. Uh, if, if you lift your tongue, you can see what's called the frenulum underneath. It's that little bit of tissue, like a little divider kind of right under the center of your tongue anchors it to the base of your mouth. Well, you know, it varies from person to person on, on how far back on the tongue it is and how tight it is, how much slack is there. And I physically just have, uh, it goes close to the very end of my tongue and it's, and it's pretty tight. So I cannot extend my tongue, uh, in, in ways that, that many people can. My, my, my tongue has very little movement possibilities. You know, like I, I can't, I can't move it out of my mouth. Some people can touch their nose. I can barely get it to the end, to the edge of my lips, Right barely get it out of my mouth. So, uh, so that's, you know, you use your tongue to pronunciate. So I'm a little bit fucked there. And, and rather than try and hide it, I just, I own it. You know, I speak a little funny. Oh, well, whatever. Uh, works for comedy. You know, uh, I feel like it maybe, maybe it helps with, uh, with my delivery style. It's just a physical <laughs> abnormality or whatever. I make mistakes all the time on stage and I do make mistakes, you know, with pronunciation and I just own it. I just call myself out and make fun of myself. Uh, and you know, that works for comedy. If anything happened to focus harder on how I say things may have kind of helped train my brain to, to, to think about words in a little more detail than the average person, that might that might help have helped my comedy. As far as getting over uh, tanking on stage, which I've done many times, uh, you just regroup, man. You just remember that in the big scheme of things, no matter no matter how the show goes, it doesn't really matter. And and you get back up there and you give it another go. You get over it. You try to learn how why you tanked. You you try to improve. That's important. And, and decide to be a little more focused the next time you're on stage. And then if you tank again, you know what? You fucking do the same damn thing. You, and you pull yourself back up. Now, now I will say, if you tank like a hundred times in a row, may want to find a different career. Probably not uh, the thing for you. Comedy, probably not for you. Uh, half joking there, but not really. All right, the next update comes in from Time Sucker Brian Bendems, the chef at the Omaha Funny Bone, man. Club I was just at. He's a Time Sucker as well. Brian writes, what's up, Dr. Reverend Suckmaster? I wanted to point out something that wasn't mentioned in the Teddy Roosevelt Time Suck. In the Battle of Kettle Hill, the press often used a cropped picture of Teddy and his riders at the top. It was the 10th, actually, a, col a colored cal cavalry 
who was first up the hill. They actually were the first up both hills. The colored uh, cavalry buffalo soldiers had a high amount of deaths and wounded, probably statistically much higher. I know Teddy was a badass, but I can't give him all the credit for that hill. The charge to take the hill was started with over eight minutes of Gatlin gun firing, destroying all the Spanish positions at the top while infantry and cavalry snuck up the hill. Keep on sucking. Well, looking into this, Brian does seem to be correct. The Buffalo soldiers, the African-American cavalry, do appear to have been the first up the hill. Uh, to be fair to Teddy, though, uh, when the Rough Riders rode up the hill, the fighting wasn't finished, um, so they were still being shot at. The Buffalo soldiers were supported by the Rough Riders. That did happen. And while this may diminish the level of heroism undertook by Teddy on that day, I just don't think it's still very heroic for him to go there at all. Man, you know, he, he definitely, for sure, left a cushy political position to go fight for his country. You know, actively fight. Uh, I include this update, though, to remind us all how tricky historical research really is, kind of on all these things, you know, on <laughs> all these things. When researching any historical event or person, especially in the, in the days before videos and audio recording, you're just kind of at the mercy of whoever was writing the article. I mean, even with the Heaven's Gate stuff, even the more modern amazing how the facts were presented, I say facts almost in air quotes, so differently in so many different, you know, like the Washington Post, New York Times, BBC, pretty legitimate places. And, and you know, when one would claim that this happened on this date and it would be a different date in the other place, you know, I guess, uh, uh, you know, these journalists, man, they're just trying to hit deadlines and fucking speeding along and just kind of a lot of times going with like, yeah, yeah okay, that'll work. And especially historically, man, uh, journalists, you know, it would exaggerate events to build up, you know, like morale during times in war, like in this case with the Teddy Roosevelt things. Uh, sometimes they would malign people unfairly because they just didn't like them, didn't like their politics, especially like when you get back to Roman stuff. You know, a lot of the Roman stuff was, you know, everything written about like Caligula, for example, uh, you know, or not everything, but most everything was written by people who didn't like the guy you know, politically. So they're going to give a, a certain slant to it. You know, that's why these episodes take me so goddamn long to research every week. And I hardly ever have time for email correspondence. Fucking, I'm not even joking there. Jesus Christ, you have to cross-reference fucking everything with this stuff. You know, again, like in the Heaven's Gate, man. You know, so, some of the articles presented Marshall meeting Bonnie, the Colt Crow creator, after having a heart attack is absolutely what happened. That's definitely how they met. Marshall actually claimed this, you know, uh, here and there. Others stated he met her after checking into a psychiatric facility to try and cure himself of homosexual impulses as absolutely being the truth. You know, and then I watched a documentary that featured uh, Bonnie's own daughter saying the two had met in the theater's acting class. You know, three different, very different things. Only one of those can be true, or maybe none of those was true. Uh, this is why I have the Time Sucker updates. No matter how hard I research, at the end of the day, never have, uh, you know, I never have more than a week. And uh, with that time crunch combined with just conflicting sources, inevitably something's going to be either incorrect or at least, you know, uh, disputed. So thank you, Time Suckers, for sending this info. Uh, to be shared with everyone who listens, and then, you know, you form your own uh, conclusions. Okay, one more update. Time sucker Connor Brown, Brown also wrote in regarding last week's Teddy Roosevelt episode saying, Hey, Dr. Supreme Cardinal <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Cummins, I really appreciate the insights made around minute 34 of the Teddy Roosevelt episode about how sometimes a rough patch can potentially lead people onto better paths that they had in mind in the first place. I'm in a bit of a rough patch right now. And I've been having a hard time seeing the silver lining, so to speak. Thanks for the reminder that shitty times aren't necessarily the end of the world. All right, man, Connor, I love you took that uh, away from this episode. And, that, and and I'm strongly assuming I didn't go back to that minute mark. But, I, yeah, talking about when his cattle, all his cattle, uh, a lot of them died in that harsh winter in North Dakota. And that, you know, sent him back into politics. And if that wouldn't have sent him back into politics, he would have never become president and never would have ended up on Mount Rushmore and all that kind of stuff. Well, um, you know, I myself had an especially shitty week <laughs> this past week for reasons I'll explain in the upcoming bonus episode about the time suck uh, itself. Uh, and, you know, and I found myself thinking about Teddy's story as well. 
You know, life is fucking hard sometimes, man. Especially hard sometimes. And there's moments, you know, when you when you feel like just giving up on this or that. But then whenever I feel like that, I, I think about some of the lives we've sucked on, you know, and how if they would have quit when the going got tough, they would have never led or, you know, had the life that inspired me to suck on it all these years later. When I get really frustrated, I end up keeping going back to the same reason to continue. You know, I know what giving up leads to. Jack shit. Guaranteed. Persevering. Uh, in life may not lead to whatever you want either, but at least it allows for hope. At least it allows for the chance that things will improve, that the, that things will get better, that you'll that you'll walk away with more than jack shit in the end. And uh, you know, just trying for that, just that alone makes the pursuit worthwhile in, in my eyes. So uh, you know, uh, I hope that at least you still have a chance uh, to to get whatever you want in life. So whatever all you uh, time suckers are trying to accomplish in your own lives, if it's something you really, really feel passionately about, man, don't quit. Don't quit. Quitting guarantees it's never going to happen. Give yourself a chance and at least go down with the satisfaction that you fought the good fight. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you again for listening. Follow the suck on social media at Time Suck Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, have a great week, man. Stay curious. Don't don't kill yourself to board an alien spacecraft at the suggestion of a wild-eyed maniac, and you keep on sucking.